Welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. We're going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives and different experiences in recovery with people we know and people around the world. All right, welcome everybody. Um, Bill and I are here to discuss today some of the pain in recovery that we have to um, that we have to go through in order to grow, and um, you know how it's necessary, and um, it's just really it's just a part of life, and you know this is why it can be difficult to recover sometimes from addiction or alcoholism. And we're just going to share some of our experience of the pains that we had to go through in order to become who we are today and kind of what we've learned from it. And um, so, yeah, I'm going to have Bill here um, explain some of the pains of growing that he went through in recovery. And we're going to have a discussion on that. Hey Tommy, good to be sitting with you again. Always is. Um, yeah, I think that's a great topic. You know, I know in the literature it talks about the uh, the pains of drinking before sobriety, and it says the inner turmoil before serenity. And I think the inner turmoil before serenity is kind of, you know, it encapsulates growing in, in recovery. You know, I finally burned down my life enough <clears throat> through the using process, get to, get to a point where I'm just beaten so badly that, that I have no choices and I, I kind of end up where I end up and I'm in a meeting and, uh, don't really know what's happening and don't really know that it's probably one of the greatest gifts in my life at the time, but through the darkness and the pain and the brokenness, it's just so hard to see that, you know, I, to me, it was like, I'm sentenced to this, you know, it was like a life sentence that I, I got to even be here. And I don't even know if I thought that I was even going to stay. I just figured, you know, I could, I could get well again or get happy, I think was the goal. And kind of get back on my feet and, and get on with uh, the business of being self-satisfied and, and do what I always did. But I've learned along the way, if I do what I always did, I'm going to get what I always got. Once I cross the line as an addict alcoholic, there's no crossing back over. And like the book says, to live on spiritual basis or die an alcoholic death are not easy alternatives to face. I didn't really understand that. I thought it was a selling feature that literature when I first heard it but through my experience of being here in recovery and watching so many people live that part of not accepting the spiritual way of life or dying an alcoholic death and a lot of people do actually die and most people go back out and I don't know what happens to most of them and I do see the odd one on the streets and I hear odd stories about people that, that you know, die or, or are in really bad shape. Or, But, you know, for me, I guess, uh, I, I came here and, and I, just, I just started doing what I was told to do. And a lot of it I did reluctantly. And I think the early pains of inner turmoil before serenity was just 
even just like having to go to a meeting, having to buy this book and, and read this book and meet with my sponsor. That was something I didn't want to do. And then, you know, they talk about service, you know, chairing meetings and sponsoring and those things weren't attractive to me when I first got here. So at about six months sober, I started chairing the meetings and the funny thing is, is I actually wanted to chair by six months in. The funny thing is, is I actually wanted to kind of sponsor somebody. I think I wanted to sponsor out of pure ego, but I don't think it really matters why I took the action to sponsor, why I took the altruistic action. I think the most important thing is, is that I did it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of started growing right from day one out of pure necessity. I see some people not beaten quite to the point that sometimes you need to be and they're not willing to, to do some of these actions because I don't know if they've actually conceded to their innermost self that they're, that they're fucked. And then I think in step two, you got to almost concede to your innermost self that the only way out is, is the spiritual relationship that, that kind of grows on you. And the benefits of that spiritual relationship start playing out in your day-to-day -day life. And for me, I just wanted more of it, but, but that, that was a learning and growing process. So I have a lot of stories in my recovery of, of like the darkness or the inner turmoil before any light or serenity. And it's like increments and increments and increments of growth to where I sit today, where it's still like that, but it's like that on a different level. It's not out of pure necessity. It's because I want more of the good life. So also with you, Tommy, you know, as you were in and out for, you know, 10 years or so, and you had a lot of pains of drinking before bouts of sobriety, and I'm sure along the way, maybe you had some, some revelations over the 10 years where you finally got to a place where something clicked. So, you know, I just kind of talked about how I made it into recovery. I would like to share some stories of the pain, but maybe you could also catch up to where I'm at as far as what it was like for you coming through the pains of drinking before you started staying and then we can kind of grow together in this talk. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so when we, uh, when you were talking about the business of being self-satisfied, like, what does that look like? Well, I believe when you, when your focus is self-satisfaction, that it, it always creates some level of suffering because my problem is self, my problem is selfishness and self-centeredness. It's the root of my troubles. So anytime I place self, um, to be satisfied, I'm, I'm going to suffer. And that was the case with me. And the reason why I was in and out, um, and even before I came into the program, you know, I was, I was searching for a way 
to become a better person and to get sober and, you know, treatment centers and detox centers and hospitalizations. Um, so I, I had a desire to be sober even, you know, at the age of 19. And, you know, I was continuing, like I was in a treatment center every year, um, at least, because I was, I really wanted to change. I just didn't know how to do it. And I wanted to live up to people's expectations. You know, I, I believe that I had a lot of potential within me and I could show a little bit of that when I did, was sober. But the problem is when I was sober, I felt awful and I could use some force within me to, you know, do a good job at work for a little bit, but it always ended up back to drinking because my, my sole purpose of getting sober was for me to be better and to show the world that I am capable of being a better person. And I thought that's what recovery was about was to make me better. And, you know, I came into the program and I start to learn that, you know, the only way I'm going to be better as a sober person is helping other people. So I did that. So I, I came into the program in 2009 and I did that. And um, the only reason I came to the program was because I exhausted all my options. There was no treatment center that was going to work. There was no amount of detox or um, prescription medications that were going to help anymore. And I came in here in my last analysis. And so when I came in, I just, like you said, I just did everything people told me. And I, you know, I started to pray, even though I didn't want to. But I started to see the fruits of the prayer and my life started to change things started to fall into place like I've never experienced before. So I knew there was something to this. So I just kept doing, like you said, I kept, I was chairing meetings. I would, you know, speak when asked and um, pour coffee, little things, little things of service, trying to sponsor guys, but not having the knowledge of and understanding the literature. My sponsorship, I, I can see now that was falling short and I didn't really have I didn't really have what it took to actually sponsor someone because I, when you just read the words in the book, um, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I wasn't able to explain any of it. And I wasn't able to explain how it applied to my experience at all. And, um, you know, I was just kind of going through the motion and, you know, it, it served me well. And I stayed sober for about three years, but, you know, about a year and a half sober of doing service and doing everything. My life started to get really good really quick. And then, you know, my desires, my desire of being self-satisfied took over. And I started a, a business and, you know, I was working a lot. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm in meetings and my judgment and my opinion come back of everybody's doing it wrong. And, you know, guys like we are today, I would look at them as, fucking fanatical and you know like they're walking around with their big books and you know spitting out lines out of the big book that made no sense to me and I just thought that was almost like a weakness and I thought it was ego and I had this judgment of these people actually working the program and you know so I started 
in my in my alcoholic thinking started to convince myself that I could do this thing differently because look at me I'm running a business and I have a truck and you know um, you know I have these things and the things became more important than the program and you know I, I went on this repetitive cycle of doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results and I'm very grateful and very fortunate that I had a glimmer of what the program can do in my life so my relapses were pretty short-lived some of them were like a day or two but I needed relief I needed relief from the way I felt sober and just showing up at meetings gave me some relief but it wasn't enough to sustain the rest of the week because if I'm showing up at a meeting once or once a week um, it's not enough you know it's a little bit of relief and I remember you know just being crazy at home and you know just having two young kids and you know my wife craving attention that I can't give her because I'm disconnected um, you know and and the guilt and the shame of not being able to be the husband that she deserved and literally incapable because of that disconnection um you know I, I i just carried that guilt and shame with me and i didn't know how to be any different than i was so i threw myself into work and i continued to do that and and i didn't change anything um you know there i was chairing a meeting for a long time i hosted a meeting at the hospital and that was the extent of my recovery. And, you know, I, I kept thinking that, um, you know, as I went out and, and came back, and I would always come back because I knew this worked because it had worked for me. So that was, you know, that was my hope. But I never really got into the literature as I did when I met you. And then as you explained things to me and the honesty and, um, man, it just, it, it completely changed my outlook on the program, what it takes to stay recovered, what it takes to be free in recovery, what it takes to be in a relationship, what it takes to be as a father, like this program, once it's applied as the directions are in the book, understanding the directions in the book, it affects my entire life. But the pain of not being able to connect to my kids and my wife at home um you know i couldn't see it i couldn't see it happening all i knew is you know i even had moments that in my mind i thought i maybe i wasn't cut out to be a father or maybe i wasn't cut out to be a husband and just trying to do those things by force doesn't work and um, the thoughts of, you know, I'm a great provider, why isn't she grateful, would come into my mind. Like, I thought that I'm working so hard, can't you see all that I'm doing? Because of that, <clears throat> the pain that I was feeling of falling short in the relationships in my life, I had my ego would convince me that just being a good provider and working my ass off should be enough for everybody to see how good I am. And when everybody around me is suffering from the way I am, you know, there's a lot of fucking pain that happens through that.
And, you know, I try and sweep it under the rug by not calling my sponsor and being honest about what's really going on in my life. Nobody can help me unless I start to be honest. And nobody, and I can't start to change unless I'm honest with myself and honest with the people around me. So you had mentioned something about uh, not being able to connect with your kids or your wife or, or anyone for that matter. Which is of utmost importance because I think the first connection that we're disconnected from is from our, ourself. Mm -hmm. And without getting connected with yourself, it's really hard to connect with other people. You talked about maybe you weren't cut out to be a father, maybe you weren't cut out to be a husband that being a good provider would be should be enough and i think as i was listening i had the intuitive thought in the we agnostic chapter talks about worshiping money people sentiment things self and a lot of these worships that we have are like uh, societal belief systems and one of the societal belief systems is you know, being a good provider should be enough. And not really understanding the disconnect from your true self of who you actually are or want to be because we're riddled with societal belief systems and judgments of what we should be and how we should be. And we try to live up to, like you said earlier, other people's expectations of who we're supposed to be. And we don't actually honor our own truth and our own consciousness, which creates great inner turmoil on the inside. So through the step work that you and I have done and many people have done and many people don't do, but we've done it. We get to look at the, like the actual reasons why we cause our own failure. And a lot of that, I'm not going to say is our fault because it's been entrenched in us. But we get to at least start seeing the glimmer of these things through the through the four and the five. And we get to start trying to change in the six. And through this process, like the six is kind of what we're talking about today. You know, the inner turmoil before serenity. What kind of things happened that were really painful that actually on the other side were great aspects of building my character. So I'm going to go into a story when I was just first new in recovery. And I didn't really believe in God. I didn't really not, wasn't sure if I really wanted all this stuff. But the hook for me in this program was I heard my sponsor. He wasn't my sponsor at the time, but he spoke at a speaker meeting. And then I connected with him. And it wasn't. I can look at it now and it wasn't from the mind. I didn't connect from the mind. I connected from the heart and everything he was saying, I felt our stories were different, but the stories were the same. And I connected with him and I was so scared to ask this man to sponsor me. It's probably two months into the program by this time, but it wasn't actually the program. It was just meetings. But I went up to this guy after he was done speaking. I asked him to be my sponsor and he gladly said yes. And then I started working with this guy and about two or three weeks into this relationship, as I was meeting him once a week, I was, you know, trying to live and trying to just go to meetings and trying to stay sober and get rid of the obsession, which was constant. 
but because I think I had a deep willingness to change, I just kept going to meetings. I kept reaching out to my dad. I kept reaching out to my sponsor. And I had, I had lost uh, my house and I lost the family and I'd lost my business and I was pretty much homeless. I was living on a trailer on my foreclosed property with no heat plugged into power that I couldn't pay for. And I know, I knew there was a check coming from an insurance thing that happened at our house from a flood. And the check was for $47,000. And like a lot of my guilt and shame, I just said, you know what, just let my ex-wife have that check. Except for I needed a little bit of it. I needed to get on my feet. I needed to get my truck running. I needed to get it out of the garage and, and start trying to do something. All I had left was this truck but I couldn't get it out of the shop because I owed six or $7,000 and it wasn't insured or registered. So I needed about $9,000. So I had told my ex-wife I need this amount of money and she didn't say much. And then the day comes where we got the check, we both signed it at her bank out in Okotoks. And then I'm waiting for the $9,000 envelope. And as she comes out of the bank, she hands me an envelope with 5,000 in it and said, that's all you get. And you got to understand that I was a very angry man most of my life and, and I was furious at that moment. And I couldn't believe that she wouldn't give me the nine that I asked for. Didn't you know that I paid for all the insurance? Didn't you know that I did this? Didn't you know that I provided all of these things for all these years? And you know, I felt like she owed that to me. And I was so mad. And I had uh, three little daughters that were with her and she ended up going back into the bank because she was scared and I was scared that the cops were going to come so I jumped in my $700 beater vehicle and I started heading back to Calgary back to my trailer and I was just furious and I had heard already you know pick up the phone talk to your sponsor talk to your your pillars pillars wasn't a word yet back then but uh, I called my dad. My dad was in the program. It had been for 30 some years. And I told him the story. I told him what had happened. And I wanted him to co-sign my shit and agree with me. But he did not. He, he asked me if I had prayed for her. And, and I was, you know, I hated that response. I wanted a tangible solution to my problem and prayer wasn't a tangible solution. Like to me, this, this prayer thing was just part of this, this cockamamie theory of what the program had. And that was just one of the things that I didn't really understand. And so I was pissed off at my dad for suggesting that because I wanted a real solution, a material world solution. And then I hung up with my dad and I called my sponsor. And I'm also looking for validation. I'm looking for, for him to kind of pat me on the back and say it's okay and all these kinds of things. And, and he did not do that. He asked me first, point blank, did you pray? Have you prayed for her? And I'm like, no. And I was getting agitated again. And he's like, you got to pray for her. You got to turn your, your attitude towards this higher power thing. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking 0 for 2? And I didn't have a choice. The thing with this program is I had nowhere else to go like Tommy mentioned earlier. I didn't have a, another place. 
I postponed and evaded this self-imposed crisis for years until I was backed into this corner where I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. I was squarely confronted with this question of God and faith in this program, and I couldn't, I couldn't skirt around it anymore. So I had nowhere to go. So I conceded and I said, you know what, self, you got to pray. So I prayed and it was reluctant. And I don't know how much I felt it. I just did it because I had nothing else to do. So I prayed and I prayed for a couple days and I prayed for her. And then two or three days into these prayers for her, I woke up one morning in my trailer and I realized, holy shit, I've forgiven her. I actually forgave her and I feel okay. And I was so fucking amazed at how I felt and what that had done to me that that was the first little glimmer of this God thing that might be able to work in my life. And at that point, I wouldn't call it God. I would only call it higher power because I had a prejudice against the word God. But I was amazed. And that opened up the door for me for more of this type of attitude, more prayer, more whatever this was. And it, it really kicked the door open a bit for me. And that was like just a magical kind of experience because resentment and anger to me, three strikes, you're fucking out. And then this time it was different. So then I just carried on and I kept doing some things. And, and, and you know, that was my first glimmer of God in my life. And, uh, yeah, there's more. There's more. What do you got, Tom? Well, there, um, <clears throat> yeah, it says that, you know, God doesn't make too hard of terms to those who seek him. And I think that's so important that... Because I don't know how to do that when I get here. I have no idea what everybody's talking about. I can see that everybody's happy and their life has changed. Um, but I really don't know what seeking God looks like at all. And you just explained it. <laughs> and really, it just starts by listening to somebody else tell you what to do. And, um, you know, this, this works so well and uh but it doesn't it has to come from somebody else who's done this and you know my my pain if i let myself sit with the pain as i explained over the years that i tried to manage my own pain sweep it under the rug um it it gets me resentments and fear and you know the guilt all that stuff if I don't discuss that with somebody who's um, well-versed in the program and not going to co-sign my bullshit, if I let that stuff fester, it's going to take me out. And this is what happens. And this is why it's so hard for people to recover. What I notice with the guys that I work with the most is that it's almost like they're incapable of reaching out. And I think it's the honesty. It's the incapable of being honest. And... Um, you know, so my biggest thing with the guys that I'm working with is I, I'm driving home how important it is, almost to the point of how important it is that you need God, is you need to reach out. Because if you don't start being honest about what's going on with you, there's no hope ever. Because, you know, if I can't have somebody show me the truth, I'm going to make my own truth. And my own truth gets me drunk. 
gets me high, you know, makes me act out in all kinds of crazy ideas and actions. And I justify and rationalize the most errant nonsense. Um, and I like that you, you know, the parallels, like when I look into the Buddhist teachings, they talk about suffering and how it's all created by desire for money, desire for sex, desire, you know, all our human desires taken out of their natural intention, um, create our suffering. And this is why reaching out is so important because I get these desires for certain things. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's money, maybe it's sex, maybe it's more of something, more material stuff. So when I take this stuff to a, to a sponsor or a 12 step pillar, they show me the truth. That stuff got you drunk and high. Come back over here, get down on your knees and say some prayers. And the forgiveness that you just mentioned that just manifested from prayer is just, it's really a miracle. In my experience, you know, first coming in and I was in a 12 step treatment center. And my first experience that prayer actually worked was through um, the pain of running away from, from police charges that I just couldn't bring myself to show up at court with because, you know, I just didn't know how to handle life and I, I couldn't take responsibility for anything. And if I had a court date, I'd be high the night before and it just wouldn't happen. Or, you know, I'd only, I'd only be having two beers that night because I have court tomorrow. Well, two beers always turned into a party, what we call the party. And really it was just a, you know, another devastating night of, you know, drinking and cocaine or whatever it was. But I could never live up to any, you know, sort of appointment that I had the following day because it was always just a couple beers the night before or a couple drinks or a couple hoots or whatever. But I could never turn it off. But anyway, the 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 pain of not dealing with my past through those things was countless sleepless nights and i would toss and turn every night in the treatment center knowing you know my own knowing my own thinking that i'm going to jail no matter what because that because i could predict my future at the time because i was god <laughs> and this is how um this is how my mind worked so i already knew the outcome before it even happened but my roommate gave me the third step prayer and he told me to say it every morning for three weeks. So I started doing it and not knowing even what the prayer meant, not knowing what I was praying to, but I just kept doing it because like you said, I could not postpone or evade and I, I just did what he was doing. He seemed to be doing better than I was. So I did what he did. And then the day came where I showed up to court and um, the judge, you know, heard me out. He knew I was in treatment and he looked at me and just said, you know, kid, there's something about you that I trust. And, and uh, I've never heard any words like that in a lot of years since I was a kid. You know, there was, there was something about me that he could see that I, I meant business and that, you know, I, I was trying. And he gave me two years probation and said, kid, if you screw this up, I'm going to hit you with the book and you're going to jail for three years. And in that moment, it was like, holy shit, like something's happening here. Because I had never been cut any breaks. You know, I was, you know, I usually, if I was in court, if I made it to court, 
I was in pretty rough shape and, you know, I never got any breaks for sure. But at that moment, um, that was like, holy crap, like God threw me a bone at that moment and, uh, things really started to change. And that's, that's when I really threw myself into, into the program and, you know, started getting into service. And I was the communication with professional centers rep and, you know, I was doing all the things. And then unfortunately I let my desires, um, be more important than, than helping other people. But yeah, that was my first experience where I thought that there was something to this. Yeah, that's that's how it works, right? And everyone has their own path and everyone has their own struggles and difficulties. And I truly believe that creator or God or whatever you want to call it, the universe, they truly know where we're broken and they know what what circumstances to present in front of us to help us grow and learn the lesson through the difficulties of the challenge presented in front of us. And as I learned what the lesson is, or I build strength on how to get through these difficulties, I actually am healing. And I believe the program is a program of healing. And part of my story is as I'm the egocentric alcoholic. I'm very prideful. I'm, I want to be the best and I want to, I want to show you what I can do and how much money I have, or at least how many trucks I have, how many trucks can I get out there with my name on it and, and just really show everybody, you know, from where I came from, look at me. And I remember when I started my business, I was about 24. I worked that business really hard for a few years. And I remember getting hired by a bunch of companies and one of the companies had me on site and it was in the winter, it's probably minus 20, 25 outside because I ran a ground frost removal company. And I would look outside of my truck at these laborers working for this one company. And I would just feel this pity for them. I felt like, holy, you guys have it rough. You're outside pulling these pipes walking in your snow suits, shoveling out the snow out of these six foot dishes, ditches and, and just, I felt pain for these guys because a lot of them were grown men having to do these, these really like tough jobs. And I remember thinking, fuck, I'm glad I don't have to do that. And then fast forward 20 years when I get into recovery, I, I didn't have any work for the first while and I finally got to move out of my trailer because winter was coming. It was September or so and I knew October is usually cold. November is really cold and December is pretty much winter. So I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta start working and I didn't have a job and I had called around to some of my old contacts who didn't know what had happened. And I touched base with the owner of this company. And I said, do you have a job for me? And he said, yeah, sure. And I was kind of looking like maybe I could run a piece of equipment or maybe I could, uh, you know, be a foreman or, you know, make a few extra bucks because I knew the person and, and I had some other qualities and skill sets that would allow me to make a couple more dollars. So the gentleman said, yeah, we can hire you. He says, but you have to be a laborer. 
He says, what I'll do for you, because I know you is I'll pay you $5 more an hour. And I, I didn't have any other choices, right? And I, I believed, okay, well, this is what I have to do right now. I had child support to pay, and I had rent coming up because I was just moving into a new basement suite apartment. And uh, I took the job. What was the job that I got? It was the exact job that I saw 20 years earlier that I felt the pain for these men that they had to do that. And this job humbled me. Out there in minus 20, 25, walking through the ditches, shoveling the snow, pulling the pipes, and, and doing a lot of these things. And now I'm 40, 40 some years old doing this. And I was making only $25 an hour. And it was barely enough to make all my ends meet. Like I swear, I, I didn't eat hardly anything. I just paid my bills and I got up every morning. And another thing is I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning, five in the morning. I had to be at work by six and it was usually quite a drive. And that was another thing I hated. And, and the other thing about the story that I hated is I was driving a $500 beater. I'm used to making 10 or $15,000 a month clear for you know, the previous 15, 20 years. I'm used to driving 80, $90,000 one ton Laramie beautiful trucks. And I'm used to the respect of being the boss. And now I'm humble driving a, a 2000 Grand Prix that I bought for 500 bucks. I'm humbled by having to walk through these ditches. I'm humbled by being told what to do. And, and my authority life is now gone. And I'm, and I'm, now a listener and I have to do what you tell me to do but what did I learn through that I learned humility through the groveling despair and humbled through pain I got up every morning and I prayed and I thanked God for this job because it was all I had I prayed and I thanked for this car because it was all I had and as I got more into my job I got more respect and I started getting a little bit better positions, although I was still always a laborer. But I, but I always say cream rises to the top. And part of step six is I don't just live step six and try to change only in the rooms. I had to try to change and some of the change was forced upon me through this challenge. And through this challenge of this career thing, if you could call it that, it helped me grow. It helped me see some truth. It helped me get humble. And it helped me get to the next step of the learning and the teaching that my creator had for me. And all I really wanted was to get my career back. And that was kind of where I was going. But I didn't know how this was going to look. And I had a lot of fear that it might never come back. Because look where I am right now. And I had lost respect of a lot of people based on what I had done in my burning down of my life. And I didn't even want to show people where I was or who I was because I was so shameful of, you know, being at the top and then falling to the bottom again. So that was difficult and it was dark, but I learned a lot through it. And I always say you can't connect the dots of your life in the moment of your living the life. And you can't connect the dots ahead of your life, but you can always connect the dots looking back. And I look back at that experience and it was a, it was a much needed experience. It, it smashed a lot of my, my self 
seeking self selfishness and my egocentric behavior and it humbled me in a good good way and then it took me on to my next little little stint of being humbled with another shitty job and all I wanted was my career back and uh you know after that I actually did get a job that suit, suited my my career and it was a beginning piece of it and uh maybe I'll tell that story here in a second but do you have anything um <clears throat> yeah I, I think what comes to mind is that this process of spirituality and being spiritual um it's always about subtraction we're we're abandoning parts of ourself in order to grow <clears throat> spiritually and it's not about self-knowledge it's not about um you know the information that we obtain <clears throat> but it's always about getting rid of parts of ourselves that don't don't um, fit for us anymore and and uh, you know so it, it, it's a painful process to be humbled like you just said um, you know I my experience was just again like similar to yours uh, a buddy of mine I had some um, experience in framing houses in early recovery and um, so a buddy of mine, he was, he was framing houses and it, it was actually the perfect job at the time for me because I had enough experience to do the job well. And I was working with a sober guy and he actually was my sponsor and he's a good friend of mine today. Um, but yeah, I worked for him for, you know, 17 bucks an hour for, you know, I don't know how long, maybe a year and a half before I started the company in sobriety. Um, but I remember, I remember just looking and watching him because he had a crew of five guys and, and you know, the jealousy that would happen. And, um, you know, so every day was like, like you said, we worked in the rain, we worked in the snow, we worked in, there was one day we worked in minus 39 out in Canmore, um, working on a roof. <laughs> it's like just the insanity. But I remember the jealousy and the envy starting to take over and really not being motivated in the morning to do this stuff but just that's just what I had to do and I was placed in a position to just kind of be a worker and and uh, you know be self-supporting and that and that's what I needed at the time and um, you know it, it it's not always as easy as we just get sober and we just become, you know, these success stories or whatever the label of society's success is. Um, but we have to start breaking down parts of ourselves so that we can, um, you know, start to be authentic in the program. It's just like if, if it's understood and it's actually applied, we're going to start to understand who we are and what we do. And um, we're going to start to understand what beliefs we've developed over the years that have nothing to do with us and we just believe them because we were told to believe them and it's no wonder we're so full of inner turmoil when we have all these beliefs that don't fit who we are and we start to enter from our head into our heart and the heart tells us the truth the heart tells us everything we need to know about ourselves 
And that's that intuition or that gut feeling people talk about where, you know, you go into a situation and you know it's just not right, but you do it anyway. And you go against who you are and what you believe in. And, um, you know, so this, this process um, has given me the opportunity to understand, well, <clears throat> even when I ran my company, and I ran it pretty successfully for about 10 years in construction, and we would build little, you know, boutiques like chiropractic centers and hair salons and things like this. And I had guys working for me. And, but the reality was, um, one of my beliefs was my grandfather always said to me, you know, stick to what you're good at and the bills will always be paid. And is life really about going to work and paying the bills? Is that all that there is to this? That's not a belief of mine. That, that belief comes from a guy who grew up in the 30s. And, you know, once that idea was smashed, all of a sudden, you know, I was put into a position of, I don't know anything. And from I don't know anything, I had to enter in and really rely on God for an answer that I didn't know about. And the 12 steps broke me down enough and got rid of enough parts about myself that I believed were of my own, where I entered into a place of, you know, pure humility and relying on God. And then all of a sudden I woke up one day and decided this isn't what I want to do anymore. And how do you just change your career when you have two young kids? And, you know, at the time I had spousal support and child support because of the decision I made to leave my family because I let that thought of maybe I'm not cut out for this family being a husband and being a father idea. Um, I let that thought run too far and I took it upon myself to leave my family. Um, and then I met you, Bill, and we, we did that process of breaking down my beliefs and breaking down the old ideas. And wake, I woke up and decided to change careers and um, I ended up in a in a program for life coaching um, because I knew that I, I just I had the experience and the knowledge of what a lot of people are suffering from and I thought I could put that to good use and this has been my direction since that point um, but the humility of having to understand that you know everything that society has taught me maybe might not be my truth anymore and to go into a di different direction and and actually not be afraid of it, you know? And I don't know, everybody around me was like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you just not continue to run your business? It's doing really well. And I just, I just didn't have it in me to fake another day of this is what I'm about. And this is who I am. I'm a general contractor, but that's not who I am. And I'm a person that wants to, to work with people and help people and you know discover parts about themselves and th this process um, has completely changed my life for the better I'm back with my wife I'm having an awesome relationship with my kids and my wife and the rest of my family and I'm able to be me today and it was through a lot of pain and humility that that had to happen so
I mean, there's so much more than just getting sober to this that can happen if we let it. Yeah, and I <clears throat> just want to touch on the, uh, you know, there's so much more to this than just getting sober. Like the book talks about that that's not even the real issue. And we talk about these promises of being launched into this fourth dimension of existence that we have not even dreamed. And I used to think, what a bullshit line. You know, it talks about being reborn. And I used to think, what a bullshit line. But I had so many judgments and I had so many old ideas of what I thought, who I was and what I believed in that, of course, I thought that about those lines. But in spite of myself, like yourself, I just kept doing what I was supposed to do. And through the difficulties and, and learning the lesson, not always willingly, but taking the action anyway, you come out of the other side always a bit better. And it talks about in the literature, you know, spiritual values and character building had to come first. That these material possessions were not the sole end aim of life. Although you and I both made these things the sole end aim of life. It's not just because we wanted to. We were taught that. We were taught that you get a good job. You watch out for number one. You find a good wife. You buy this house. You have all these things and, and you're going to be happy. I think that's the reason why so many people in this world aren't happy is because those things don't actually make you happy. You talked about like finding and living with love. The book talks about that. You know, how much do all these material things have to do with with actually what propels my life? When I think about what actually propels my life and what makes me want to live and move forward as I think about my relationships with my kids. I think about my relationship today with my beautiful girlfriend and her daughter. And these are the things that actually propel my life. You know, I go out into nature and I see a beautiful sunset and I get that feeling. Or I see some wildlife, um, a mama deer and a baby deer. And there's just something that it does in me that feels really good and really pure. And all of these things I'm talking about actually come from the heart. That's what propels my life. So if I work on the spiritual love and I work on character building through the actions, I start living what propels my life. But it takes time, right? You can't just do this overnight. And through the, the pains of, of growing, there's always something on the other side. But I think from what I see in sponsorship is people go through this inner turmoil and it's actually God building with them and doing with them as they will. Because as they said, the step three prayer, they actually want to change and they want a better life. And when you sincerely get on your knees and you say this prayer, the universe listens and it starts putting the challenges in your life that is going to show you how, how to get through it. What type of fortitude you need to build to get through these things. And that is God building with me and doing with me as he will. The line in the book where it says God is everything or he is nothing. Well, to you and to I, 
the seemingly good in our lives is God. And it's only seemingly good because we don't know what's actually good for us or not. And it's only seemingly bad because some of the things that seemed bad in mine and your recovery have actually been the greatest light bringers to us. And I don't know what's good or bad for me. I just know that it is. As I put one step in front of the other, I don't need to react to what's happening in life. I've always reacted. I've always taken an action based on what's happened around me. Now I, I just take my steps and life unfolds itself in front of me. And through some prayer and meditation and service work, the answers come after we have tried this for a while. Having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable we're going to be inspired at all times. And we may pay for this presumption, all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Yeah, because I think I know what's best. And I, and I make these decisions based on money or based on desire or based on whatever I think I, I want. And then I put myself in a position to be hurt. And once I kind of understand these things and I keep moving forward. And the other important thing is a lot of people through the pain, they go the other way. Because it's hard to go through the pain. It's hard to live in forgiveness or actually try to forgive. It's hard to let go of resentments. Because resentment, if I keep it, allows me to feel superior to the person that I'm resenting. It's, it's, it's easy to live in resentment. It's easy to live in fear. It's easy to do what's easy. But if you want to do what's easy, then you're not going to grow. And if you're not going to grow, you're probably going to suffer from what you've always suffered from. And then you're going to need relief again. And you're going to pick up a drink or a drug. But if you do what's hard, you build the strength, you build the fortitude, and you build courage. And, and you know, you get to a point where you can make these decisions like you did about your career. No matter what anyone says. You can make decisions about getting back to your wife, no matter what anyone says or thinks. Why? Because you're in touch with yourself. You're connected to yourself. And through the connection with yourself, you're actually connected with your kids in a way that you've never been before. And you're connected with your wife in a way that you've never been before. And a lot of this, the basis of a lot of what we're talking about is actual vulnerability. You get vulnerable to be honest with yourself. And then you're able to get honest and vulnerable with somebody else. I think the thing in society is nobody wants to be vulnerable because then it exposes. It leaves yourself open to hurt. No one wants to give the edge up. And the edge is, I need to keep the edge. I don't want to be vulnerable. But it's the thing that I deeply, deeply long for. I want somebody to know who I am at the deepest level. But it's one of the scariest things to do. So for me, I'm like you in those ways. I've also had a, a big revelation in my career path. I got my career back. I got some things going for me. And then I was sitting there going, fuck, I don't want this. <laughs> but I worked for the first three years of my recovery thinking that's all I wanted. But then I realized one day, all I want to do is help alcoholics and addicts and people recover from a spiritual malady and get this feeling that I got. Get in connection with truly who I am, my truth. 
And then I asked my own creator, because in the back of my mind, there was something about this money thing, because I have bills to pay, I got child support. And I was worried about that if I go and just work for the people and creator, I don't know if my bills are gonna get paid. But the one thing that always stuck with me was in the step three, it said when we sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. You know, I had this new employer, which I had been working for for those years already. He would necessarily provide me with what I needed if I stayed close to him and performed his work well. And that was my story. So there was a deep belief and faith that if I did this, he would take care of me. We're two years in of me quitting my career on a prayer. And when I prayed and I asked God what, what it was that he wanted me to do, and not really knowing what it was, I just said, Creator, God, and my grandmother is the one I talked to because she's part of my higher power. I asked her, what do you want me to do? Like, I think, is there gonna be money in this, whatever it is I do? And then for the first time ever, my creator, my grandmother said to me, Billy, it doesn't matter if there's money. This is what you do and you go do it. And then my decision was made and I gave my notice at my job where I was making six figures. And then I've been just surfing on, on the graces of God for the last two years. And you know, that's what brought us together too. And now we, we collaborate and we try to do things that are, that are positive for the world. But there's so many of these experiences of, of pain and turmoil. And even today, like even today, like the last four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months has been some of the hardest pain I've ever experienced. But I believe God knew where I was broken. He's given me the challenges and I've gotten through a lot of these challenges up to this point. And now he gives me new ones. Why? Because he wants me to let more go. And he knows what I can handle and when I can handle it as long as I'm awake enough in my own life to, to see what's happening and what the lessons are. And I always got to remember where can I be of maximum service to God and the fellows about me. And so that's kind of what I've always done with the career choices that I have made to this point. You know? I think one of the things that holds us back from change is what we what people think about us and when you're when you tap into your true self that part of your heart that knows and doesn't have to tell you the story and convince you then what other people think doesn't matter anymore and that i think is society's biggest block today is that we're trying to let live up to other people's expectations but i think we um we're going to wrap it up here today and um, it was an awesome conversation, Bill. Um, so basically my direction today is helping people in recovery um, through recovery coaching and helping the families um, better understand what addiction is, um, how they can recover from the effects of the addict. And if you're in the Calgary area, um, I am doing in-home visits um, for the families that need help and direction and maybe the people um, struggling with addiction or in recovery that are, need direction and um, so you can you can visit me at uh, table40coach.com so that's uh, table f-o-u-r-t-y 
coach.com and you can see me on Instagram, uh, table40.coach. And then on Facebook, my Facebook page is table40coaching. And how can people find you, Bill? Um, you can find me on my website if you Google billward.life. You can also find me at that same handle on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, Spotify, Anchor, and uh, yeah, and I also, you know, I'm, I'm dedicating my life and my career path to, to helping others um, that suffer from the spiritual malady. Um, I focus on alcoholics and addicts. Um, I'm going to go into some corporate. I want to talk with businesses and really expose the truth about this illness and and bring the truth to them so that they can start helping the people that work for them from a standpoint of humanity not from the bottom dollar line and i also really want to emphasize helping our first nations brothers and sisters as they suffer a deep spiritual malady and bring the truth to to what's happened and and uh healing and healing is kind of the name of the game i think and through helping and, and doing this for other people, I actually heal and get well myself. And I just want to touch on one last thing. You talked about that we, uh, we can do things no matter what people think. Mm. And that is exactly true. There's a lot of people judging and, and condemning and doing a lot of different things in this world. And, and I just let them. It doesn't matter. I, I got my calling and purpose and I walked forward and you do too. And, you know, we let the chips fall where they may and, and we don't need to combat it. We don't need to justify anything because we know our truth. And, and that's the name of the game here, I think, right? So, you know, this was a really awesome chat, Tommy. We could have talked for hours about <laughs> so many things. And, Let's do this more often. Yeah, you bet. So we'll be we'll be uh, launching another cast uh, next week as well. So come join us every week. Follow, like, um, whatever you have on your platform that you're looking at. We're going to be on, you know, basically any any podcast platform. Um, so yeah, just uh, get into it with us, and uh, we'll keep bringing it. And next week is Gord P. Woo! Yeah, that's going to be Gord is an awesome, awesome member and the dude is just full of light and love. So make sure you catch that one too. We'll see you later.